Welcome back for another week of the podcast entitled Last Ones at the Bar. We're here to talk about all of the important affairs in this week, this week in the sport of boxing. My name is William Henry, and I'm accompanied by Daniel Lee and LaBelle Jackson. This week, we got about four or five topics we're going to discuss, and we're not going to waste any time today. We're going to go ahead and get off into the big fight last night that took place on Showtime with Devontae Tank Davis versus Mario Barrios. What did you fellas think about Tank last night? Yeah, first off, um, I'm going to give a shout out for all the the guys who, who fought last night. I mean, it was an exciting time. I mean, exciting fights. Um, if you're one of those people who talk about how boxing is boring and there's been boring fights or raggedy decisions, and, and if you didn't see last night's fights, shame on you. I don't want to hear you talking about how boring boxing is right now. <laughs> Because every one of those fights ended in a stoppage. Uh, but let's get into it. Uh, Javante Tank Davis, uh, he came to his fight 24-0, 23 knockouts, uh, with wins over uh, Leo Santa Cruz, which had the knockout of the year last year that we, you know, picked uh, as knockout of the year. Uh, he has victories over uh, Yorokis Scamboa and uh, Jose Zapata, where he won his first title at 134. Uh, he's, 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 he moved up to 140 to fight uh, Mario Barrios, who was uh, 26-0 with 17 knockouts. Um, he's about 5'10", or maybe 5'11", to Tank's 5'5 five, five and a half, which um, he's listed as. Um, and Barrios has a win over uh, Batir Akamedo. I think that's how he pronounced his name. Um, but he's a WBA uh, titleist. Um, and it was testing the water to see how Tank would do at 140 to see if he brought his power up. So one of the main questions is, did Tank bring his power up? I say, yes, but it, it's, it's also more to it than that. Uh, so when this fight started off, as, as soon as Barrios came in, you know, walked to the ring dressed as Rocky Maivia, I knew that he, was, he had this fight lost. I was like, this is over. <laughs> But you know what? Uh, when this fight started off, I was, I was, you know, Marios did well. You know, he started off with a jab. Um, he was trying to use his length and, and use some of his boxing ability. Uh, one thing I didn't, one of the things I didn't like, uh, they, he fought pretty much hunched over, you know, and and uh, was leveling himself down to um, Tank's height. So that height advantage that he had, it never, it didn't really come into play as much because he fought hunched down but he was still using the, you know his length and footwork uh to move around tank um but of course barrios isn't really as explosive as, as uh Trevante davis so um first few rounds just filling out rounds for tank but i believe barrios is really trying to win win the fight he uh, he had some you know more activity you know he was he was throwing punches um he wasn't landing at a high rate, but neither was Tank at that time. Uh, neither guy was landing at a real, real high rate. Um, so the fight then really started uh, heating up to probably around the third round where, you know, Tank tried to open up a little bit more. Um, but again, Barrios was still, you know, using, using his jab, using some movement. Uh, but at the same time, he was still fighting hunched over, just waiting for, you know, um, just, just it seemed like he was a sitting duck for, for uh, in a sense. So, um, 
the fifth round came around, I saw Davis started utilizing his jab a little bit more, and, I, and he had more success. Um, I think he hit him with a one of those rounds. He hit uh, Barrios with a body shot, which I think kind of changed the momentum of the fight, where Barrios starts to uh, back up a little bit more and, and move a little bit more, and and he, he stopped uh, getting into you know more exchange. He stopped really trying to initiate those exchanges with uh, Tank. He felt that power a little bit. Um, but still, going to up the, the eighth round, that's when. Tank really, you know, hit uh, Barrios with the, dropped him bad with a uh, a right hook. You know, um, Barrios got up and then and he got dropped again. I thought the fight was pretty much over at this time. Um, I thought Tank was going to get the KO. Uh, he really, really tried in the eighth round. Um, ninth round came along and something happened. Uh, Barrios started fighting his way back in the fight and actually he won this round. You know, he went. He, I had him winning the, the ninth round. It was interesting to watch. You know, uh, Tank seemed punched out. Um, and e even at 140, it seemed like that stamina issue was kind of coming up again. Um, and then uh, around the 10th round, uh, one of the in-between rounds, uh, I wasn't sure how I felt about this. You know, Floyd came out and told, told, told Tank flat out, told his corner, like, look, man, you're losing the fight. <laughs> and then Tank started, you know, Man, what do you mean I'm losing the fight? <laughs> and Floyd's like, why are you getting mad at me? I'm telling you the truth. I'm being 100 with you. <laughs> you the, the, the unofficially, they got you losing the fight. And Tank's like, oh, okay. <laughs> it was interesting because, I, I, you know, uh, of course, Calvin Four is is a Davis head trainer, and I have a lot of respect for Calvin Four. But at the same time, that was exactly what Tank needed to hear because he was he was about to kind of coast it and, and had he coasted that fight had he started really really coasting those last few rounds i could see that i could see barrels going to distance and then it could have ended up a draw i could see that um so tank really opened up in the uh 11th round and, and dropped barrios hard with the, uh, a hook to the body i mean it, then it was all she wrote soon as barrels got up tank finished them off now tank is one of the best finishers in the game in my opinion you know he has a lot of power I mean, that power is there, but it, it, he never really answered the question of can he win a fight using the skill because really he turned this fight around. Uh, yeah, he used a little bit of skill, but it was really reliant on making Barrios feel his power. And it, and it always has that question of what happens when you hit a guy with that and he doesn't feel your power or he's like, look, I can take your power. And I don't care how hard you hit, we can look at all the best punchers in history. There's always somebody that can just take it. And then it begs the question of what is he going to do if for someone who has like superb defense? Because Barrios, yeah, he's you know WBA champion, but let's be real, he his defense wasn't anything to write home about. So it's it's always those questions of, of how Tank would do in those situations. And that question really wasn't answered tonight. But I mean. Props to Tank. I mean, he did move up to 140. I mean, he got a win. Um, hopefully, we can see him in there with some better fighters at whatever weight class he decides to be at. Yeah, I'm not going to uh, really touch too much on the fight uh, because it would be redundant. And I don't want to, um, like I said, belabor some points that you've already made. But what I will do is I'll break it down into what I saw as far as the good, the bad, and the ugly as far as the fight was concerned yesterday. 
So the good part of what I saw from Tang yesterday was that he showed me that he has a pretty good chin, um, even at 140. You know, some of the shots that he took from Barrios. Also, what I saw from Tank is that when he presses the gas, when he presses on the gas or press on the gas and goes into a different gear, most of the, his opponents, they can't, they can't keep up. They can't handle it when he applies that pressure. And it's a certain point in a fight when he just – he takes off and it's just a little bit too much for the opponents that he's faced so far. Also – I looked at that, um, I, went, I think that was the eighth round when he dropped Barrios and he was uh, trying to get him out of there. Uh, and you can see it, like Tank, he has that blood in the water. Like when you see somebody hurt, you can see him, like he's he's ready just like the, the pounce, you know what I'm saying? Like a, a tiger or a lion or something like that as well. So I like that, you know, in Tank. But sometimes he makes himself a little bit uh, vulnerable um, as well, but you got to like that passion that he has when he has his opponent hurt and his ability to get you out of there so that was something good that I saw as well and I, you know I continue to see that each and every fight because you know even me speaking on him pressing on the gas I've seen him do that against Pedraza I've seen him do that against Santa Cruz I've seen him do that against Gamboa and then now I've seen him do that against Barrio so like I said it seems like his opponents they can't handle it when he applies that amount of pressure um, that he does on those guys. And then lastly, the good is that, you know, as far as Tank is concerned, is that, you know, you can look at it that his, his power did go up to 140 because, you know, he knocked out a pretty big 140-pound fighter um, yesterday. He was able to hurt that 140-pound fighter on several occasions. And as far as Barrios, I think the biggest, the glaring thing about him that we learned from him and kind of probably knew already is that the young man has the heart of a warrior. So, you know, regardless of the outcome, shout out to him um, for exhibiting that Aztec warrior mentality and heart. Um, but as far as the bad, um, you know, Tank gave up like the first four rounds. I couldn't give him any of those rounds in the first four. You know, it seemed like he was waiting for his opponent to get, you know, a little bit more tired and he can time them a little bit. So he's kind of calculating the data a little bit, you know, but if you're fighting a better fighter, you know, you might not be able to just turn it on when you want to um, against stiffer opposition. Then also he looked a little bit susceptible to guys who have certain attributes that Mario Barrios possess. You know, that jab was, was um, kind of becoming a problem for, or it was a problem for um, Tank. And so somebody who's a little bit more talented, will they be able to just keep him at bay, you know, with a nice long stiff jab? Also, um, did his power really carry up to 140? Because this is what I was saying before they even made the fight or when they were talking about this being a fight. I thought this was ideal for Tank because Mario Barrios, there's a certain level of skill that he has. There's certain things that he, he does, he can do them pretty good. He does them pretty well, right? He has a jab, but it's nothing, and you know, he can, it's certain things that he can do, but it's nothing spectacular that he does. And so when you're fighting a guy like that, and I'm not, it's not even just in boxing, there's certain things that you can see. If I'm a basketball player, and let's say, for instance, I'm playing a bigger guy, for me, 
what I would know is that early on, it may be certain things that I'll do, but I'll just wait till he gets fatigued. And I know he can't keep up with me once he gets fatigued because he's a bigger guy. And I know that a bigger guy is just going to be too slow, especially eventually once they get a little bit more fatigued, then I can get him in foul trouble and do, you know, and I'm sure as, as a boxer, you know, those things too. Okay. I'll wait, you know, until he, ex, you know, exudes some of his energy. And then that's when I'm going to go ahead and take him out. And the fact that you couple that with the fact that Barrios has, doesn't have the greatest resume. Um, he doesn't have like the best experience in the world that a guy like tank knows and his team knows that they can take advantage of guys like that, right? We've seen this happen before. Um, but again, as far as Barrios's power, I'm saying did his power really go up to 140 because Barrios really started his career, like his first fight was at 123. You know, he's still a young kid. And he fought at 130 as recent as like four years ago. So is he really, like I said, there was a guy who started their career off at 140 and then you, you know, rock him. But if it's a guy who's moving up and, and growing into his body and growing into who he is, and so I don't know if he necessarily, um, his power registers at 140 or even 135. So I, I think the jury's still out. Then lastly, the ugly. Um, I mean, really, when is Tank gonna face like a serious test? You know, everybody's faced so far, you, he had to be the overwhelming favorite. And I don't think this fight was any different, you know, especially based on our predictions. I know I had him 65, 35, you know, as far as my prediction. The only thing that I saw in Barrios is that could be trouble is the fact that it wasn't too big. But outside of skill, I didn't see anything there, even in fights that he fought previously, because he got hit too much against the guys that I saw him face. And I also saw him get tired in those fights against lesser opposition. So... This really didn't tell me too much anything outside of those things that I mentioned before um, as far as what Tank did yesterday. And then the last thing is how many more times will fans accept this? And it seems like they're going to accept it, you know, quite often. Anytime that he enters the ring, it's an event. People want to see there. He has tremendous amounts of power. And so that's all they really want to see. So I think I'm answering my own question. But, you know, shout out to Tank for beating up uh, – Leo Santa Cruz's little brother. It seemed like it's deja vu. You know what I'm saying? But that's all. That was my take. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, y'all said a lot of things that I I, I just I, I agree with. I had to fight very close at the time of the stoppage, and it was really close because of the knockdowns. Um, but uh, Tank had his air bottom where he knew he was going to get the right shot, similar to how he kind of approached the, the Santa Cruz fight, uh, which makes me wonder if he's fighting the way he does on purpose because of his opposition. And also to your point, my concern would be that um, it, it fighting that way is just not going to be beneficial for him moving forward if and when he's in more of a 50-50 fight. Um, in terms of, you know, how the rest would have scored it, though, you talked about this a little bit, Vel. It wasn't going to end in the draw, I don't think. Uh, like, even if you look at the at, at the time of the stoppers, they had a, a on the screen, they had two judges had a 96-92 tank. One judge had a 97-91 tank. I don't know what which fight they was looking at. They might have been actually looking at some uh, old tank fight. But but uh, once tank got that first knockdown, I was like, nah, the judge is going to give it to him regardless. But but yeah, I, I guess that's just my my concern on top of that. Like objectively, right? Like it was an exciting fight. Like it's a fight that's 
that was very palatable for for a casual or or like a more serious fan to watch. Uh, but it's clear that the matchmakers know what they're doing. Um, and I have to question at this point, are they looking to make Tank great or are they looking to make Tank rich? And uh, they, they definitely have succeeded and will succeed at the second part of that. Um, but when you continue to fight fighters like this and you're not daring to be great, that also kind of stunts his growth as a fighter. And, you know, um, yeah, like to your point, well, at some point you would think that fans would demand more, but then I even saw a tweet from Tony Harrison last night saying, uh, yeah, you got to put uh tank in the pound for pound list. And I'm like, off the strength of which fight? Cause to me, you got to fight someone as close to pound for pound to be on a pound for pound list and respect to Mario Barrios. Cause he's a warrior showed a lot of heart that fight, but, Beat Mario Barrios to me is not what will put any fighter in a pound for pound ranking to me. Now, if he if he if he decides to stay at, at that at that uh, weight class and successfully de- defeat like a a, a pro gray or or even you know a, a greater opponent than that at that weight class, then okay, we can talk. Or if he decides to do the same thing at one thirty five you know, beating like a Haney or something like that, or 130 being like a Valdez. Like, okay, we can talk about that. But as long as his the matchmaker, as long as his promotion continues to kind of give us these palatable fights that are exciting and they're going to end in knockouts and high octane where he's not really going to display a whole lot of skill, I can't personally put him in my pound for pound. Um, did y'all have any more thoughts on that? Yeah, I have some more thoughts. Um yeah, to both of you guys' points about a few things, namely the the you know the atmosphere. I was kind of torn about that too, as far as how fans view this fight. Because on one hand, you know, uh, to casual fans, I'm the boxing representative, so when they talk to me, you know, they I see them get hype about it. I'm like, okay, yeah, you know, exciting fight. But on the other hand, when you look at the you know the atmosphere and you know, the promote, promotion did a great job of promoting it because, it, it, you know, I mean, the atmosphere was crazy. It was a big fight. It, but, come on, this wasn't like Canelo was fighting, you know, and, and they was making it seem like that. Like, I mean, you know, how big the scale it was, you know. And you get, then you have people, you know, saying, Tank, you know, we'll do this or do that. Um, and... And as and as a, a a fan who really really follows boxing, you know, I have to really. On one hand, I'm happy that, that he's getting props, but on another hand, it's like, I mean, it's, it's guys around his weight class who've proven a lot more than him who don't. Uh, nobody's saying that this guy's the truth, you know. Nobody's really saying that, and I'm hearing that Tank Davis is the truth. Um, and another thing for the the scoring, yeah, there was some weird scoring cards. Um, I, I didn't have a problem with Tank winning per se, uh, as far as winning on scorecards. He kind of was, uh, but there were some, some interesting scorecards. But personally, I had the the fight ninety five ninety three. Uh, so there were on my card, it was a chance that from, you know for Barrows to fight his way back to a draw. But of course, unfortunately, as you stated, Danny, the, the, the official scorecards, which what matters, uh, didn't portray that. But you know that's why I believe Floyd was telling. The uh, correct information, you know, that he was down on official cards, and that's what made Tank produce. 
the, the more I think about it, like honestly, I, I shout out to the to the matchmakers in the showtime because you know, even the way that they market the like he, he's now a three division champ, right? But there was no mention of this being the WBA interim belt. I don't even think they mentioned Luke Taylor. Um, I don't remember them mentioning Luke Taylor in, in the whole time that they were fighting. It was just marketed as for the belt. And so, you know, casual back boxing fans don't care to know how many belts there are, how many, you know, what levels of belts in each division. Like, you know, they don't care about a franchise belt. They don't care about a secondary. They don't care about interim, super champ. They don't care about any of that stuff. They're like, oh, he's a world champ. So, um, it's like a sense of a, a, a wool being pulled over a lot of eyes. That's all I saw at right now. Any, any, you got anything, Will? Yeah, the only thing I'll say is this, is that Tank has some really great attributes that he brings to the table that you can't market. And I don't I understand why they're doing it because, for one, Floyd, you know, his promoter, you obviously want to maximize the money. You want to have the highest risk, I mean, lowest risk and, and, you know, be able to get the highest rewards. And, you know, most people don't know boxing like that to know all of the things that you guys are mentioning. So you can use that, you know, to your benefit. And I understand that, you know, it's just that I can't fault them for that, you know, but at the same time, it's, it's a double-edged sword because I do want the brother to make as much money as they possibly can make, you know what I mean? And if that's the way they go about doing it and, you know, they can get generational wealth from it, I'm all for it, you know? So I really, that part of me, I, I feel that way in general. But at the same time, it's like, typically champions, if you put somebody in a lofty status, they earned it. And that's the piece that's missing. You know, I see all of the skill that Tank has. And I'm, I think that there was a chance for him to really be the guy where it's not like done and such the word fraudulent might be kind of harsh, but it is being done in a kind of a fraudulent manner where I don't think that they had to do that. Like I think that if they would have went about doing things in the right way, given Tank stiffer opposition early and developing his skills all the way around where he can handle different type of opponents where you don't just have to fight these one-dimensional guys you know and showcasing the power that way um I, I think that they could have done that it's just unfortunate that they skipped so many steps and now he's here and he has this name and he has this popularity and you know, they're trying to maximize that as opposed to the way it should be, where you have to knock off some top dudes. I don't want to use vulgar language, but you have to whoop some to get some, right? So once you go ahead and knock some guys, just one of the dudes, you've been at 140, 135, 130. I don't recall him beating any of the top people in any of those weight classes, you know? And that's the unfortunate thing. I think that he has the skill to be able to do that but hopefully moving forward that they decide to put him in against stiffer opposition to prove who he really is. You know what I'm saying? To match, you know, match the popularity, you know, that's all. But again, it's like that in other areas too, like, like the most, the people who are the most talented typically aren't the ones who get rewarded the most. And that's in any area of activity. So 
But again, shout out to Tank, man. Yeah, I'll just close it, close it out, my, my part of it at least, by saying, you know, as a as a from one black man to another, you know, get your money, black man. Like that's exciting, you know. It, you know, he get out the mud, you know what I mean? But as a boxing fan, like I just can't help but but want more from him, especially when he's such a good fighter. Like when the talent is there, it, it, even if if it wasn't there, then it's like, okay, well, maximize what you have, you know. But the talent is there and it's, it's almost like, you know, he, he's allowing himself to be so short in terms of like actualizing that talent. All right. So, you know, anytime we have a, 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 a name fighter like this, um, you know, we always got to talk about where he goes from here. Um, so what do you guys, wh- what do you think uh, Tank goes after, after this fight? It's hard to say. Um, uh, because, for one, who could have saw Mario Barrios being his next opponent after Leo Santa Cruz? You know, especially when you got all of that smoke at 135. And so you would think that the logical step at that time would have been for him if he was going to go to 135 to take on one of those opponents. And it seemed like that was going to be the case when uh, Ryan Garcia was calling him out. But even without that fight going through, you would think that it would have been somebody else at 135 that he would have faced. But and Tank, he's saying that he's going to stay at 140. And so he said he's not going back to 135, which may be good. Um, I would think that after yesterday's performance, it could go a couple different ways. Now, if Tank himself gained confidence from being able to beat a bigger opponent in Barrios, he could feel comfortable. And, you know, based on the fact that Haney had his troubles with Linares last fight, I could see that possibly being a fight that he would want to take. I'm not so sure that Ellerby and Mayweather would be as interested in a fight with Haney as Tank maybe. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what he's seeing because I know it's, it's really going to be based on his comfort level and if he thinks he's fully prepared for Haney, you know, because Haney's not, it's not going to be the same case. Like he may catch Haney, he may not catch Haney, but it won't be the way he's catching these guys because Haney has other attributes and world-class stuff that he does. You know, it may not be the power, but he can frustrate the mess out of you and you trying to time him with those shots. That can get utterly frustrating. And Tank hasn't put himself in a situation where he's fought somebody like that, maybe with the exception of Pedraza. But Pedraza, I don't think, is as talented and skilled as Haney. But at the same time, he does um, set some traps and he's kind of elusive at times as well. could be that uh, he, if if Garcia, you know, is serious about wanting to face Tank, you know, I can see that being a fight that may take that may potentially take place. Another guy that could be a potential opponent because I think that I think he's with the zone though. I think um, Jose Ramirez is with the zone, but I can see them seeing him as a person who would be there to be hit, and that eventually Tank might be able to, you know, do away with Jose Ramirez. But at the same time, he's going to 
Ramirez is a dog too, and he's more skilled and has more um, experience than Mario Barrio. So I don't know if that's somebody that they would want to face. But if he's going to stay at 140, I don't see him them facing. Um, what's my man from New Orleans? Anytime soon. Progre. Yeah, Regis Progre. I don't see them facing him. He's too much of a threat, you know, offensively with the power that he has. So I don't see that being a possibility. What they could do is they could just very well wait out um, Josh Taylor. If this Taylor decides to move to 147, then I can see them finding somebody that they can face to collect one of those belts that Taylor would um, have had to uh, relinquish, you know, on his journey to 147. So, I mean, those are the options that I see. I, but again, this Barrios fight came out of left field. So I really don't have like a sound um, answer for you, but those are some options that I see that may happen. Yeah, I mean, shoot, man. It's anybody's guess. Um, you know, here are the, the facts. The facts are he can fight anywhere between 130 and 140. Um, but also there aren't a whole lot of high profile PBC fighters in those weight classes that I could think of that, that his promotion company would match him against. Um, you've already ruled out pro gray, which I would rule out as well. If you want to say at 140, um, even when I think about like Ramirez, like he's there to be hit. But the way Tank fights, the way Tank has fought these last two fights, he's there to be hit too, you know. Um, so I'm, you know, I don't know. That's kind of that's kind of risky, you know. what I mean, uh, I would like to see it, but it's kind of risky. Um, at you also have uh, so if you go back to 135, I don't think he fights Loma for multiple reasons. I don't think he fights Haney. Um, I don't think he fights Garcia. Uh, Javier Fortuna is PBC, and he's 135, but he has a fight in a few weeks, and presumably that, that winner is going to fight Haney. And whoever loses that fight, you could argue they're not really going to make – they wouldn't make for a marketable fight. And so this is one of the only times, the first times I can think of where we've done this topic, and I really can't call it because – out of his last few moves, no one move has been like the other. But all I'll just say is I think we still haven't seen the best version of him yet. And I hope that whoever they put him against brings that best version out of him. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, I can't I can't really call it. He he has options, but it, it just depends on a lot of different factors. So well, I can call it, <laughs> but more on on that later but you know at, let, let's say tank davis stays at 140 you know it with, with tank his issue as in gary russell jr terms you're gonna have to pick his poison you know pick your poison and and he's in a spot where i mean you can't you can't hide from these challenges now you can't say this guy's with this promotion or what have you because um now you now you have a belt, and some some guys want to unify. So it, I I think he's an interesting spot because because no matter what weight class he's at, he's gonna have some dogs. It's, it's, he's almost like, um, and I don't want to necessarily compare him to uh, an Adrian Broner, but Adrian Broner 
had a situation like this too, where it didn't matter where he was at, he was going to be where the dogs were. So at 140, you know, Javante Davis, you know, of course he wants to uh, collect the belts because let, let's be real, Javante Davis has never beaten the man, the actual man or the actual champ at any way he's been at. You know, uh, you could argue that he was the, you know, the man at 130, but currently he isn't the man at 130. Even that, even though he just fought at 130. So yeah, let's say 140, you have, you know, Josh Taylor, you know, he's going to have to, uh, if he wants that to, to be the, the, the man at 140, he has to fight Josh Taylor. But then at 140, you have uh, Pro Gray, of course. And then you have Ramirez, uh, 135. He has to face, you know, uh, Devin Haney. Uh, Teofimo Lopez is the man at 135. You still have Lomachico that's there. I would even accept uh, um, Davis fighting Linares at 135. We go down further, 130. And people say, oh, he can't wait 130. He just was at 130 for Santa Cruz. So at 130, you got um, Shakur Stevenson. You got uh, Oscar Valdez. You got, um, who's my man, the Marine? Can't think of his name. But then you have- uh, yeah, Jamal Herring, you know, you have Chris Colbert who's who's coming up. You know, you have all these dogs that's there. And Chris Colbert is with PBC. You have these, and I don't, I don't think these fights are all going to happen. I don't think they're going to push for these fights, but he has his options. It's no excuse to not really have these names on, on his resume. You know, he's been pro longer, a pro longer than a lot of these guys. I mean, he's been champion since 2017. He's been pro since 2013. And when you hear PBC and, and even Floyd talk about him, it's almost like they're they're still talking about him as he's a he's a, a prospect, saying he has the potential for greatness. I mean, by by is by eight years as a pro, Floyd Mayweather had already fought Castillo, uh, Corrales. He was fighting Marcus Corley. When Alcide De La Hoya was eight years as a pro, he already had uh, fought Chavez twice. He he was coming off. Uh, the, the loss with uh, Felix Trinidad, he was on his way to fighting Shane Mosley, you know. Um, so when Sugar Ray, eight years into Sugar Ray Leonard's career, he was on his first retirement. He had already fought Tommy Hearns, Roberto Duran, you know, Benedictus, you know. So it's no excuses for, for Tank Davis. You know, he doesn't have these names. And I don't think, even think it's Tank Davis. I really think it's his team. Because you can look, listen to his interview. Tank is going to do whatever his team decides. So, and, and I believe he really wants to fight those guys. I think it's, it's his team. Maybe they sent something. Maybe they see something in him, which is creating some doubt. Uh, as we saw in that fight yesterday, you know, he, he seemed to be struggling with, with uh, Barrios' jab. And Barrios isn't, wasn't, uh, really that fast, you know, Tank always has the edge and speed, you know, then um, Barrios is also stepping around Tank a lot, and, and Tank had problems cutting off the ring, he he had to really use that 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 uh, threat of pressure to get Barrios into the corner, so when we, we look at a guy like Devin Haney, who was probably having one of the best jabs in the game, you know, I, I sense a little bit of tr some, some concern there, or when you have um, Shakur Stevenson, who has one of the best defenses in the game, I see a little bit of concern here. You know, Teofimo Lopez, you know, he's always that, 
that threat. A lot of guys, I, I, I can't even say that outside of Jose uh, Pedraza, and even that's a, a stretch. I can't see see any guys on Tank's resume who actually uh, are traditionally have like a, a high, high boxing skill level. You know, like um, we, we look at the guys that Tank had had an opportunity to fight. Uh, Haney, you know, Lopez to an extent, you know, you know, have Lomachenko, you know, you have Shakur Stevenson, you even have T Tevin Farmer, all these guys, you know, some of these, most of these guys called Tank out. Most of these guys in common, they have boxing skill. They're traditionally more reliant on boxing skill versus uh, coming forward or fighting, you know, and, and it, it's something in Tank that I don't think his, his team sees that he's not ready ready for these guys yet and it's kind of sad because he's been pro longer than the guys who are ready for him <laughs> so uh so what i think is going to happen i think he's going to fight uh, ivan Redcash at 140 or something like that i think he's going to fight even maybe a victor postal i think um if they don't think he's ready for these challenges now i mean when will he be ready maybe he's gonna um fight yeah jose pedraza and uh rematch zapata who knows what's going to happen? But I think his his team sees something that that's a deficiency. They see some flaws in him that they're more reluctant to put him in there with these guys. I wouldn't mind seeing, and this is funny, and people might laugh. I wouldn't mind seeing Tank in there with Adrian Broner. Forget this with friends and all that. Tank uh, Broner can make one forty. You know, why don't you fight Adrian Broner? That's a big fight. You know, that's a big trash talking. That that's a, a huge money fight. Uh, but then you have up, up and coming guys in 140 like um, Gary Antoine Russell, who's been calling Tank out also. You know, is Tank is going to accept that challenge? You know, Tank has to decide is he a prospect or is he a champion? And eventually he's going to have to fight those champions. Yeah, I just want to add a few things. I don't, I think Tank would be silly, you know, to take on somebody who's like basically nobody knows you know what i mean but they're good but nobody knows just to prove something like i think beyond that i think that you know like i say ideally you would want him to face somebody where it's a you know really an intriguing matchup just based on from a competitive standpoint that you would want to see him do that but again it's also a business. So I don't see the demand outside of I'm, I'm, I'm listening to reputable boxing analysts. They're not really forcing those guys to mix it up with other guys. So if they are okay with it, I don't see why they were forced because it's not like that anymore. It's not like where everybody's on the same page in terms of the best fighters are supposed to go ahead and fight the other best fighters because there's so many ways around it. You got promotional issues. You got other things that can get you. This guy wants too much money. It's, it, it's just so many different ways to avoid guys. And it seems like that's been a norm for enough time now that everybody's okay with it. And that's just how it is. So, I don't see him with his popularity, the amount of money that he's making, the amount of seats that he's that are being filled at his fights for him to make a silly move. They haven't made a silly move thus far. They've been getting away with 
fighting the level of opposition that they've been facing. People just want to see him knock people out. You know, the people that go to his fights and the people who purchase pay-per-views. They also enamored with the Floyd Mayweather connection. So he has a good thing going. I can also see this. It depends. It depends on, like, T.O. I know that's a promotional issue type thing. That probably fight would be, probably be hard to make. But if T.O. shows some chinks in his armor in his next fight, I can see that fight possibly being made. I can see if Ryan Garcia comes back and he doesn't wipe somebody out and he shows some more chinks in his armor, I can see them pushing for those type of fights. But at the same time, their brand is so arrogant that they don't feel the need to call people out. It's like, okay, we're going to go ahead and just, this is a big event and we're going to sell this event. It's not the fighter per se. It's more so who that they can, who they can match them against and they can get the value out of that event and keep his name buzzing, you know, like household appliances. So uh, they got a good thing going. So some of those things, I don't even think that that's on the table for, for concern for them um, as they move forward. Yeah, anybody have anything else? Danny, you good? Yep, I'm good. So because we've beaten this topic to death now. <laughs> so moving right along, um, there was another fight yesterday at – uh, well, it was a fight at 135 and one of the, one of the weight classes that uh, Tank has campaigned in. Um, this was against Vasily Hightech Lomachenko versus Masayoshi Nakatani. Um, what do you guys uh, think about this fight? Did you check it out? Yeah, um, I'll, I'll keep it kind of simple. Um, I, I thought he pitched a shutout here. Um, and I scored it accordingly. It was a nice round knockout. Um, he did get a, a knockdown um, in, a, in a prior round. But uh, I'll just say, because I, I, I want to give you guys room to, to say what you saw, too. It was, I thought he did a great job of, of neutralizing Nakatani's height. Um, he worked the angles the way that we're used to seeing, like, Vintage Lomachenko run the angles. Honestly, to me, I think this might have been his best performance at 135. Um, I say that because, you know, obviously he did what he had to do against Linares, which was his second best performance to me. But this one seemed like he had kind of filled out his lightweight body. It mostly going to fill out, whereas Linares was his first fight moving up in weight. And um, he didn't seem as effective in that fight. Even though he got the stoppage, um, there were spots where he didn't seem as effective. Uh, the copy box numbers, and I think the copy box number tells a good amount of the story. Uh, he landed 104 out of 214 punches or 48%, um, 59% of his power punches landed, whereas Nakatani landed 29 punches out of 250, or 11.6. I do think it makes it uh, interesting, at least on the top rank uh, lightweight side, because, you know, Loma has said that he hurt his shoulder before the Lopez fight, and that he wanted to show what he could do with two good arms. And, you know, he had the surgery after the Lopez fight, and he looked good with two good arms. I still think that 130 is best weight class, but I think it's possible that, very possible that his last fight against Lopez is, isn't a true indication of where he is as a fighter at 135. I think he got written off prematurely. Um, and I think that Lopez had previously struggled against Nakatani, and I think, it's also very possible that Loma specifically chose Nakatani to prove a point, you know, and uh, I won't get too much into where I think he goes, but 
because it also depends on, on Lopez, but he's made it clear that he wants that Lopez rematch. And so um, I would, I, I mean, I think there's good fights for him to be made for him and for Lopez outside of those two, but that is a fight that I would be excited to see. Yeah, I agree. I'll be excited to see a rematch between those two also. Um, this fight, um, as you said, Danny, you know, you pretty much said it well. It was a shutout. Um, so he pretty much put the beat down on him. I was kind of surprised because I thought that Lomachenko was starting to slow down from his last fight. And I did pick Nakatani to cause him a lot of trouble and, and possibly get an upset here. But um, Lomachenko, he pretty much did what he usually do. And, and Nakatani, a hunch that his last fight with Badejo took some, even though he won that fight, it was a brutal fight and it probably took a lot of Nakatani also. So, uh, Lomachenko was pretty much, you know, they would usually do use his angles and, and steps in and uh, uh, use a lot of boxing ability to frustrate Nakatani and hit him with, with, with some, some crazy left shots that, were, that was pretty much hurting him. So, of course, he just pretty much pitched a shutout and, and, and beat Nakatani down pretty much. Um, it's not much more to say about it. But I still have a hunch. I'm like, I'm trying to figure out still why someone like a Tank Davis didn't fight Lomachenko because I think that was still, I mean, as high as I am, I am and I was on Lomachenko, I still think Tank had enough power to have a chance in that fight because he does throw uh, straight left shots just like Linares does, you know? I mean, and plus Tank is very much more powerful than Linares, doesn't have as you may not have his boxing ability. We don't even know, you know, but I think that would have been a great fight. Um, but of course, Lomachenko was looking at uh, Teofimo Lopez. Uh, Lopez, of course, has to get by Cambosas, uh, uh, which that's not necessarily definite given um, some of the issues been, that's been going on making that fight happen. But even then, I think that fight is not even until September 11th. So I think there's still time for Lomachenko to have a fight even between uh, now and, and a rematch with uh, with Lopez. So, I mean, I, it's, it's not a done deal that he can just wait to a, a rematch with Teofimo Lopez. He has some room that he can make a, another fight. So, so I'm kind of curious uh, if his team is going to do that. Um, that's pretty much all I have. So I thought this was a pretty good performance by Vasil Lomachenko against my, Masayoshi uh, Nakatani last night. Nakatani, he he just had, you know, he's that's the third extremely tough fight that he had in a row. Um, Lopez fight wasn't as brutal, but he did take some big shots against Lopez. But uh, Verdejo and now Lomachenko, that man, he needs some nice, some nice time away from the sport. I, I hope he, he does. Um, but when I looked at the fight last night, what I noticed is that Vasil kind of used that in and out style. You guys mentioned the angles that he, you know, vintage Lomachenko with the angles, but he was darting in and out. It was very reminiscent of how Manny Pacquiao disposed of Oscar De La Hoya um, when they fought, I believe it was 2008, 2009. It's very reminiscent of that. That's the first thing that came to mind as I saw him putting on that performance yesterday. And I kind of knew that going into the fight because Loma's skill would just be too much for Nakatani, as well as him being a seasoned fighter, over 400 amateur victories, the stiff level of opposition that he's faced at the pro level. 
he's faced guys that's far superior in skill than Nakatani. And Nakatani has never faced anybody like a Vasil Lomachenko. So that's the reason why going into the fight, that's why I said put some respect on Lomachenko, man. I can't see a guy like Nakatani being a one that, you know, puts an end to his career or, you know, even putting up, putting a loss on Vasil's record. It's two ways that you're going to go about beating Vasil Lomachenko. You can overwhelm him with pressure, but you have to be physically strong enough, you know, to rough him up and kind of throw his timing off. Or you can just have, you know, certain attributes and certain skills that you have as far as like a nice jab um, and something, other wrinkles in your game that's high level stuff that he has to worry about that may prohibit him from getting off what it is that he's trying to get up because they always talk about Vasil calculating data, but sometimes he'll wait too late in order to be able to um, impose what he, he's attempting to do after he collects the data like he did against Lopez. And as far as Nakatani, I thought that in his victories that he had or even in a close fight that he had against Lopez is for one against Lopez, he was just catching Lopez at the right time. He caught Lopez in a moment when Lopez was overconfident because all of the exceptional knockout victories that he had, that they were like highlight real knockouts that he had. In addition to, he was still green at that time as well. And then you also add in the Nakatani at that particular time, it was no um, tape or anything like that on, out on Nakatani. Nobody knew who he was and he was fresh, right? And then against Verdejo, Verdejo was wiping the floor with him. But we know that Verdejo is like a four or five round fighter before he just drops off as far as his fatigue. He gets tired and his jaw is not one of the best um, in the sport, especially when he, when he gets fatigued. So I just thought when I factored all those type of things in, I was just sure that Vasil was going to get this victory. And I kind of knew that it was going to be in a fashion that it ended up happening. Now, like I said, I thought it was the best performance by Loma in a while, although it was against an opponent who is not elite as far as skill, but um, as far as Nakatani is concerned, showed tremendous heart as he always does. Like he's like a samurai warrior in there. He's willing to go out on the shield. And sometimes that heart is too much for his own good, you know, um, but shout out to both combatants. Now, as far as Loma, um, what he can take from this victory. And again, I'm not, it's the best victory that he's had as far as how he looked, but I'm not gonna like just go overboard with the victory um, because of the fact that he wasn't facing uh, an highly skilled opponent like um, Linares. He wasn't facing a Luke Campbell who's physically big, strong, has that Olympic pedigree. He wasn't facing somebody like that, but he can take from this fight some things moving forward if he's able to get the Teofimo Lopez fight next. And that is what I like he, what he did yesterday is he didn't wait around and, you know, try to figure out taking data too much. He just came out, put some stuff on Nakatani and he doesn't have to be that aggressive against Lopez if they fight again. But what he does have to do is pose a threat to Lopez early, like not just physically getting him exhausted, but also that mental exhaustion throughout the course of a fight would be tough for anybody. And so if he does that, if he starts a little bit early, get a couple of those rounds early, then I think that he can very easily um, win a pretty 
I wouldn't say lopsided decision, but I think it would be very much in his favor or potentially or possibly getting a stoppage against Lopez. You guys have anything else on the uh, Seals' performance yesterday? No, sir. No, sir. If not, we're going to move to a fight that was on the undercard of the Tank Davis uh, main event fight. You had Erickson Lubin um, versus former champion um, Jason Rosario. What did you think about Erickson's performance last night? Oh, man. This fight, I <laughs> you just knew this fight was going to end with someone getting clipped. <laughs> Uh, but also, of course, we predicted. Well, I know I predicted uh, Lubin would be the one to clip Rosario. Um, but it went uh, similar to you know what we might have thought. Uh, Erickson Lubrin, he he came in this fight 23 and one with 16 knockouts. Um, of course, he has that loss with uh, with Charlo. I believe it was Jamel that he fought uh, and got clipped um, in the first round. And he seemed to have been rebuilding his confidence since then. Uh, against Jason Rosario, who was uh, 20 and two with 14 knockouts, uh, he has victory over J Rock, which we saw, which was up to upset victory, which brought him a title at 154. Uh, he went straight into a fight with Jermail uh, Charlo, in a fight that he was um, uh, stopped in, and it, it was interesting because uh, he was giving Charlo a little bit of trouble when he wasn't getting dropped. So uh, I always thought this fight would be interesting. You know, both guys uh, are are explosive, but also both can be uh, vulnerable. Of course, Lubin is, more of a, is a more athletic, explosive fighter, while Rosario is more of a pressure, you know, hitching with some strong shots. Um, so it's, it's interesting because whenever I see Erickson Lubin, uh, he seems like he's small for 154 for some reason. I always think he, he can be probably make 147 if he tried. Um, but, but, you know, Lubin win this fight. He used his, his, his southpaw left jab. Um, I mean, softball, uh, right jab. Uh, and I think they, they mentioned that he was right-handed, which that would be interesting too. I think, uh, he had a strong jab. Um, he was, he was going to, to Rosario's body, uh, early, which I thought was going to pay huge dividends, uh, because Rosario is the type of fighter who I think, um, I think some of his issues with taking punches, cause he doesn't seem to take a, sh take shots well, but I think that, that, comes down to him making weight i think he he may be a guy who's more suited to fighting 160 i could be wrong but i i think that his issues with you know taking these body shots comes down to him making weight uh so it seemed like every time lubin was going to the body uh rosario seems uncomfortable he never seemed comfortable in his fight um and Lubin started in the third opening up and backing rosario up which spelled a little bit of trouble for rosario um then he ended up uh, putting Rosario down, um, and Rosario. Was, then Rosario started getting to Lubin more in the uh, the fourth round. Um, he started really opening up on Lubin a little bit, had Lubin uh, in trouble a little bit. Um, but I, I did like uh, Lubin's corner advice. Uh, I believe Kevin Cunningham was in his corner. Um, and I, I always used to not like Kevin Cunningham for some reason, but I, over the years, I respect him and I respect the things that he says in the corner because he, he's straight to the point. Uh, he's unsure-coded. He's like, man, what are you doing, Lubin? You know, uh, and Lubin went out there um, and, and, and pretty much uh, hurt Rosario 
back after, you know, after a round where uh, Rosario was kind of giving it to Lutman, he came back and he ended up stopping uh, Rosario with a, with a body shot. Um, and it was a good victory for Erickson Lubin. Uh, he says he wants uh, Charlo, you know, he wants Jamel Charlo. He wants a shot at the 154 title, which I really, really respect, you know, for a guy like that who, who can come back from a, a knockout, which, you know, um, he had a reputation after that of being chinny and, and no one knew if he would ever be back in a, in a upper echelon. And even then uh, I saw a little bit of trouble. He seemed uncomfortable taking shots from Rosario and he, he may still um, have some chin issues, but I think he, 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 you know, he showed a lot of a skill and grit and, and it was a great performance for him to be proud of. So shots out to Erickson Lubin. Um, that's all I have. Uh, yeah, I'll be brief with what I saw. Um, there was a lot going on yesterday when that fight took place. Um, but I was watching it, and I saw the same things that you saw. Um, th this victory for Lubin was a six straight since the Charlo loss. Um, I noticed that he did get hurt in the fourth round as well. Uh, he was able to shake it off, drop Rosario twice um, with two with a two-punch combination, I believe it was, at first in the sixth round, and then he finished him off with a three-punch combo in the six in that same round, you know, like you said, as far as Rosario is concerned, it's either him being able, he's going to have to go up and wait or um, he's not going to fare well at 154 because hopefully for him, it is the weight. And so he'll be able to withstand some of those body shots. But every time he gets hit in a body, he just doesn't like it. And it, like, you just see his facial expressions, body language, all of that. So it seems like he got a sweet spot somewhere in that body, you know, be exploited yeah like i said he could be a pretty good fighter it's just that he just doesn't like it to the body but shout out to eric Eric lubin for getting a sixth grade victory um as far as him and charlo is concerned i think that the next time that they fight if they do fight it preserve i mean if um, charlo is able to get past his next opponent i think it's castanio um, for the unification bout um i don't see it going differently outside of the fact that i don't think it's going to be a first round knockout but lubin is so vulnerable like He's to me, he is kind of chinny because every time he gets hit, um, he you can tell that he's visibly shaking. So I think at some point, you know, um, Charlo was going to get to that chin and that would spell trouble for Erickson Lubin. But shout out to him for showing Kahuna's to want to get back at Charlo. Um, but he's always shown that, like, even when he was like 21 years old, he always wanted to go for the championships. And I was already surprised. I'm like, you know, slow down, uh, young buck, you know what I mean? Because of the fact that you still have a little bit more work to do as far as polishing up certain things. But, you know, I like the fact that he wants to take those uh, stiff challenges. So shout out to him, you know, good victory over Jason Rosario yesterday. Yeah, I'll keep it brief as well. Uh, you guys made a lot of points I was going to make. I'll just uh, echo a little of y'all sentiments, but also add a little bit of context as well. But first of all, shout out to both fighters. Um, yeah, shout out to both fighters, like y'all said. Um, you know, um, I like Rosario, but just like you said, with the shot stick to the body, I think he doesn't look like a super big 154, but it just seems like he'd be better at 160. Um, I, I think the way, you know, it, it was a gift, obviously, that he that he beat J-Rock, but it was also, it kind of put him on a trajectory where he could possibly become like, almost kind of like the Gamboa of, of 154 where like fighters that, that's looking to get to the next level might, or, or prove themselves might, might call up Jason Rosario and he just ends up giving himself a lot more damage. So 
So 160 might be the move for him. Um, you guys pretty much said there's not really anything else to say about the fight itself. I would just say that uh, Lubin was already the mandatory for Charlo's WBC belt going into it. Um, they both had common losses to, to Charlo. Um, this match wasn't eliminated for that same belt. And so shout out again to Lubin because he was at risk of losing his number one contender spot if he would have lost his fight. So shout out to him for taking the fight. Now, um, I, I do agree that the match would be a lot of the same. I think that just overall, Charlo is just like a more complete fighter than, than Lubin is. Um, there's no slight to Lubin, but there's levels to it. You know, it's just what it is. And so, um, you know, it could be a situation where, you know, assuming Charlo beats Castaño, um, he would have all four belts. And so he may not decide to satisfy a WBC mandatory. Uh, so I don't know, that, you know, so it depends on what Charlo has planned after that. Uh, but Lubin's stock, I would say, is back to being about as high as it was before he fought Charlo. And he just put on a good performance in front of a big crowd on pay-per-view. And so if there were a time to fight Charlo again, assuming he does what he has to do against Castaño, this would be the time to do it. All right, fellas, last topic for the day. Um, next week, we have Chris Colbert uh, fighting Tuckstot Nayambayar, who is a last-minute replacement for Uriakis Gamboa. How do you see that fight playing out? All right, I'm going to try to be uh, as brief as possible. We've been going on pretty long with this episode, um, although, I, you know, very uh, informative, might I add. Um, but this fight right here, you have Chris Colbert out of the out of Brooklyn. Um, he's 5'8", 71-inch reach, 15-0 with six KOs. Um, the six KOs to me is a little bit deceptive because he's been show, showcasing a little bit more pop um, as of late. 24 years old, he's the WBA interim title holder at 130 pounds. Um, you have Tug Scott, Nayan Bayer, who's 20 or 12, one with nine KOs, 29 years old. He is, um, has a 67 inch reach and he's five seven. Um, this right here, uh, well, let me go ahead and start off by saying this. Colbert, he last fought uh, in a barn burner against Jaime Arboleda last December. And one of those rounds was candidate of round of the year. You know, that fight, he chose to stay in a pocket a little bit more against Arbadella. Um, and, you know, like I say, it was, a, it was a great action-packed bout with Colbert being a victor. Tugstad Nayambair, he recently had a split decision victory over Kobia Brady, who was 15-0. and 0. You know, that also was a barn burner. Could have went either way. And he also has a loss in 2020 against Mr. Gary Russell Jr. Um, also with Tugstat, I took, took, took a look at um, his, some of his Olympic fights and some of his amateur fights, I should say. And I must say um, that he has a really good background when it comes to the amateurs. And really in 2012, he was fighting for the gold medal. He got the silver medal, but honestly, I thought he was robbed in that fight. So he brings a lot to the table. Very good, solid fighter, um, throws crisp, um, straight punches. And then he'll be facing Colbert, who has a has a showy style, um, throws nice combinations, skilled, fast, um, fighter who isn't afraid to trade. And like I say, the, the, the boy, I, I like Colbert, man. Um, 
he's one of the if you want to still consider him a prospect ish type fighter, you know, a contender. I would say contender with the WBA interim, but um, he's still you know like coming on the scene. But like I say, the boy is fast, flashy, flamboyant. You know, great punch selection. He's venomous with both hands. You know, reflexes, um, really good reflexes, and he has the innate ability to be able to just distance. You know, um, he passes the eye test like tremendously when you take a look at him. He jumps off the screen when you see Chris Colbert. Um, very confident fighter. I mean, from the time that they're introducing him, you know, he has that charisma. You know, he has that spark in him. You know, so and it's hard to root against him. Also, Chris Colbert is noted for the different hair colors that he comes in the ring. I just thought that he was doing it to match his trunks. But when I listened to him in an interview, he says that he wears different hair colors, you know, to put a spotlight on um, different issues. Like uh, he wears the pink hair for breast cancer awareness month, you know, things of that nature. So he has a, he's a good hearted uh, young fella as well. Um, this is going to be and like you said, this is Gamboa was supposed to be in this bout, which would have been a good test for Colbert. Colbert has some quality victories, but either way, it was gonna be the stiffest opponent that he has faced. Now, I think that this is gonna be a more fan-friendly type fight because Tugstot, I haven't seen him in a bad fight. You know, he comes to fight and Colbert also comes to fight. So I think it's gonna be pleasing on the eye for, you know, boxing fans. Now. As far as prediction for the fight, ooh, this is going to be a goodie. Like, this is going to be a real, real solid test for the young man. Um, when I say the young man, I'm talking about Colbert because of what I saw with Tugstad against Gary Russell. Gary Russell is just Gary Russell. You know, he can sit there in a the pocket. He can, you know, use angles. He can be right in front of you, and his hands are so fast that he has that blazing speed where Tugstad before he could get anything off, Russell would just angle himself where he'll be out of position for him to throw punches that he wanted to throw. And then also he was able to tag Tug Stott. But again, Gary Russell is like the elite of the elite, especially at 130 or 126 is when they fought each other. Um, and then looking at the Breedy fight, uh, he dropped Breedy twice in the first, I believe. And then he ended up winning that 12 round split decision. Breedy's a good fighter as well. I think he's from this area. Um, at least he, he now he he fights out of this area. Um, now I'm gonna give Colbert the advantage for a couple of reasons. One, his elusiveness, um, I think is gonna give Tugstot some trouble. Also, Tugstot has power, but Tugstot originally came from 122, and then he fought most of his career at 126. And a lot of the guys that, when he stepped up in opposition, he hasn't been able to knock those guys out or hurt them like he did in the lower weight classes. So I think this is his first fight, or well, this will be his first fight at 130. So I think that some of the pop on his punches won't be as heavy as it would if he was fighting at his natural in his natural weight class. So I think that's going to be um, something that is gonna benefit Colbert in this fight because the times that he will get hit, but a lot of times Colbert, he moves with the punches even when he's getting hit, you know, sometimes. 
And that's a good attribute and skill to have. And I, I can see that happening in this fight. But also, he's going to be coming back with some legend himself. Like I say, he's not shy away from – he's not shy um, or he doesn't shy away from, you know, getting into exchanges. But he's typically more than likely going to be the benefactor, you know, of those exchanges. And so I think that that's going to play out throughout the course of this fight. Um, but again, this is going to be a goodie. You know, you get a chance, make sure you check this one out. And hopefully uh, Chris Colbert, you know, passes with flying colors. But that's all I have, you know. Yeah, this this fight is interesting. I, I, it's funny because I, I thought, as you said, the Gamboa fight was uh, – uh, King Tut was the last-minute replacement. And I was like, hmm. So when I first heard about it, I'm like, Chris Cobra's fighting King Tut. So I think Nabiara is going to be, um, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I think he's a tougher test than Gamboa is for Chris Cobert. Of course, Gamboa has that pedigree, but Gamboa has kind of been on the downside for, for a minute now. Uh, and a lot of people like to pick on Gamboa because they think he's chinny and, you know, I can get a knockout on him. I think Nabiara is, is a stiffer challenge because he's, you know, he's still kind of, uh, he's coming up or in his prime. Um, he hasn't, he doesn't have wear and tear on him. He's a, uh, he has Olympic pedigree. Of course, he's a silver medalist. Um, he's, he's a very technical fighter. Um, I, I think the speed maybe play a factor because I think Chris Cobra is uh, faster and, and elusive. And one thing I like about Chris Cobert is he's very, uh, He's very versatile. Uh, as we saw in the last fight, I, I didn't think he was going to go for it and try to uh, fight that way and go for the stoppage. Uh, because when I saw him beforehand, before that, he was mostly just, uh, you know, he moved and elude punches and, you know, work off that jab. It's interesting because uh, Chris Colbert and, you know, and demeanor a little bit and, and, um, and speed and flashiness, he kind of reminds me of a, a very, very young, uh, pretty boy Floyd. Uh, like, you know, a lot of people like to compare themselves to Floyd or compare other fighters to Floyd. Uh, but I think Floyd, he suffers from the same thing that I say Tupac would suffer from, where you see, the, like, you see rappers get compared to Tupac, and normally it's on a, a superficial level. They, they, they get compared to Tupac because they have a, a certain voice or they talk about being a thug or um, they've been shot or went to jail. They never, you never hear rappers who have the similar subject matter that Tupac had or have the versatility that he had get compared to him, which I see that in Floyd also. You have guys like uh, Adrian Broner getting compared to Floyd, you know, because he fights in a shoulder roll stance. But I think Colbert, as far as uh, going in there with a game plan and still being able to adjust and win and, and letting that dog come out of him when necessary uh, and let his hands go, I think that's more like a young pretty boy Floyd than someone like Adrian Broner who picks his shots and likes to move forward and walk guys down uh, like an older Floyd. So and, and so I think uh, I think Cabrera will win a decision. I don't think he's going to stop King Tuck. I think King Tuck is very, very, very tough. Gary Russell could tell you that, you know, um, but I think he's going to be too elusive because King Tut, I mean, he, he can, you know, he, 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 he can throw, he has, he's, he has a technical pedigree, but I think he, sometimes he waits too long and, and, and he can, he lulls fighters to sleep a little bit where 
fighters have that. If, if you let your hands go against them, you have a chance against them. So I, I think Cabrera will win a, a, a decision. I wouldn't be surprised if King Tut put up a a, a challenge to him though, because this is not going to be a an easy fight. If if Chris Cobert make this fight easy, I'll be surprised. Um, but everybody knows how I feel about Cobert. I always uh, I always want put his name out there because I want to see him against these top guys at 130. You know, um, I think he has a lot of talent, a lot to offer, but he just doesn't have you know that name value. Uh, and, and initial hype like, you know, Shakur Stevenson or a Tank Davis or, or Devin Haney, those guys came in the game with a, you know, with name value, which he's had to build his name up. And I, and I respect him more for that because he's doing it from nothing. So I think Chris Cabrera will win this fight. Uh, that's all I have. Yeah. First of all, shout out to you again, uh, Vel, because you put, I don't remember if you put Will on, but you definitely put me on to Colbert um, back in December when he fought Arbolita. And uh, he's definitely excited, young guy to, to watch. I'm excited about this card in general. Um, this fight is going to be more intriguing than it would have otherwise been because, um, you know, um, King Tuck was, he, his last fight was in September of last year. I don't know. I pres I'm assuming that he was training to some extent for him to have been called up um, at this point. But, you know, you also have Colbert who was training for another another guy, another style of fighter I wanted to this fight. And so um, in a way, this is going to be uh, a test for him multiple times over, not only to step up a competition, but to adjust in the span of like a week or a week and a half or whatever uh, for, this, for this step up. Um, but that said, you know, he has natural gifts that, uh, to you guys' point, that I think will uh, get him the decision in this fight. And so, um, you know, just to keep it brief, I just will, I, I think that Colbert will come out of this with the decision. And I think, I think it's going to be an exciting fight, though. It's going to be very fan-friendly. And um, I'm actually a little bit more excited about this than I would have been for the Gamboa fight, so... Uh, so I'm looking forward to a good card next week. Yeah, I, was, I just wanted to add in there uh, when I when I think about Colbert, and again, it's, he's just an exciting, you know, young fella. You know, all the way around, seems like a good natured young man as well. But I just want to add in there, like when I see him, I see highlights of him. He reminds me more of a young Pernell Whitaker. Um, I think Pernell was just from the time he came on the Olympics or even in the Olympics, he just had an older soul in terms of being in the boxing ring where when he would, it's just certain, and, and that's why I use the word innate, like it's certain things, certain gifts that he has that are just so natural where the ability, those reflexes to be able to elude punches already knowing that they're about to come. And then the way he positions his body when those punches like, breeze past him because he already knows it's going to come and it's just a natural thing that he has that he does you know a natural athleticism a natural body rhythm that he has that reminds me of Pernell Whitaker the other thing that I was going to say is is uh, one of you guys made the point that you got to respect him his grassroots nature about the way he's come up you know not a lot of um, acclaim initially but you know, he has all the Brooklyn behind him now, you know what I mean? And if you have that girl, and then you have a lot of New York behind you, 
and you continue to win, then, you know, you got something to say and you have value because that's a huge area to have your back in. And he's filling out those stadiums. You know, the fans are rocking with him. You know what I mean? So I'm, I'm just wishing the best for the young man. But, you know, he looks like he's the goods, but this is going to be a competitive fight, you know. And like I say, hopefully, you know, he'll have his hands held high um, when it's all said and done, whether that's a knockout or whether that's a, you know, decision. But it's a good test for him. Anything else we got, fellas, before we wrap things up? This might be a um, kind of a long episode, but, you know, you don't want to rush your points and things like that. You know, you got things that you want to say. You know, that was a huge – as a matter of fact, these has been two huge – uh, box, boxing weekends, you know what I mean? Like I said, when I've been watching these fights, I have, like, my iPad on, on. I have my laptop on, got the TV on, got my phone on my tummy, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like, ah, <laughs> oh, you know, but that's that's a good thing, though. But like I said, you got anything else before we wrap up? Yeah, it's a, it's a great thing. Uh, we're getting a lot of fights. Uh, of course, we had that drop because of the pandemic, but, you know, more fights are being made, even if they're not the the fights we want to see, they're fighting more, which is a good thing. And as you said, yeah, we're looking at a laptop, television, and all this stuff, and you're trying to catch up because you want to catch things in live because you don't want to miss anything. Especially last night, that was not the night you want to miss anything because all of these fights ended up in stoppages. And most of them, uh, you can see a, a lot of them go, going a, a way that a stoppage could happen. So, uh, shouts out to those guys again to a great uh, night of boxing. And you know what's crazy, Phil, is last week I was doing that with all of those fights on. And then keep in mind that just imagine if that Lopez card did happen last week. You know what I'm saying? You might have right, another device right. like that. Oh. But like I said, that's a good thing, man. You know, the more the merrier. And, you know, it's a boxing card tonight as well. I don't know if you guys are familiar with it, but it's a young 168-pounder who they're eyeing and to potentially face uh, Edgar uh, is it Berlinga? Um, like, I think skill-wise, he's more skillful than Berlinga, although Berlinga, you know, packs that punch. Is that uh, Eric Morrell? Yeah, Morrell. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah, he's pretty good, yeah. Yeah. But if that's it, Danny, you got anything? Yeah, it's been uh, – I'm glad that boxing is back being boxing, you know what I mean, in terms of the, the activity level and the cards being made. Yeah, you know. Man, Vail, we sit back here, you know what I mean? I'm just enjoying this beautiful weather, but also got to uh, shout you out, Danny, for being, being a social media superstar yesterday with that tweet you sent out. You know, so shout out to you. <laughs> My man went viral yesterday, you know what I'm saying? So. Yeah, don't forget about us, man. We CMB, we all we got. <laughs> Let me correct myself. It's David Morrell, David Morrell. Yeah, I know Morrell was his last name, yeah, yeah. But on that note, you know, we're going to go ahead and get up out of here. Hopefully you enjoyed this episode. We'll catch you later. Enjoy your week. We out. Peace. Peace. Peace.